My name is Kevin Dunn. I am the Public Outreach and Events Coordinator here at the Institute of World Politics. I see not a lot of new faces, and I want to thank those people in particular who are coming out for their first time to visit the Institute of World Politics. Uh, for those of you who are new, we are a graduate school of statecraft and national security affairs, and we focus on teaching the full spectrum of um, national security and statecraft through the many different aspects and elements of national power. And I think our alumnus, class of 2013, I believe, is an example of what our students do um, in this capacity, in this focus on statecraft. I am going to just briefly introduce him. Uh, I'm going to go over one or two more logistics points about today's event, and uh, we can start the show. So today's event will be on the record. Um, that means that you may uh, take pictures or film um, or quote. And uh, if anyone has any further questions about the graduate school itself, feel free to contact myself or anyone, any of our representatives outside in the lobby. Uh, so uh, Mr. Benjamin Frick is a scientific associate at the Conrad Adenauer um, Institute and of the South Caucasus, and he uh, is going to present today on Georgia. And in his lecture, he titles it, Georgia at the Crossroads and Uncertain Future. This will be a lecture that is sponsored by um, the uh, Kuczuszko Chair of Polish Studies with a focus on the intermarium, the land between the seas in Eastern Europe and in Eurasia. And uh, with that, I want to thank you, sir, for coming in and presenting on your research and experience. And let's please give him a warm round of applause. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you so much for coming. Um, it's always a pleasure to come back to the Institute of World Politics, and especially as a former student. Um, it is a great honor for me to see how the education I have received at this great place actually materialized uh, throughout my career. And for that, I'm very grateful. Um, and um, I really try to bring back what I have studied here, and I try to apply it um, in, my, in my studies. Um, I'm currently working for the Konrad Adenauer Foundation. Um, for those who don't know it, it is the German equivalent of the International Republican Institute here in the United States. And um, I am focused right now in, on the South Caucasus. I'm stationed in Tbilisi, Georgia. And we work a lot on civic education, on research, on analysis. And we work a lot in the political realm. And of course, we try to support um, the public in the urban and of course also in the rural areas. And during my work in the South Caucasus, I've had the great opportunities to be working with a lot of great people. And I'm also very thankful that David Dichoralice is here today. Um, he was former Georgian ambassador to the United States and uh, Georgian defense minister. So thank you very much for coming. And of course, also, I'm grateful Voice of America here is here because we've had a lot of um, issues in the media in Georgia lately. So it's very good that um, a more neutral and a very pro-Western voice is voicing as well. Um, if we look at Georgia today, we see that Georgia is again at a point where it's at a very uncertain place. We had Georgia going through a massive transition in the past years, and um, I would like to focus a little bit on the history, which then eventually leads into our current day. But just by looking at the map of the Southern Caucasus, we can see that the area has historically been a very splintered area, a very ethnic diverse area, which was somewhat reinforced through the Soviet ethno-federalism, and um, therefore we still see a lot of issues today arising, whether it's in Nagorno-Karabakh or in ethnic um, diverse regions even on the Russian side, such as in Chechnya, at, 
as we all know about, and most prominent, of course, in Georgia, Abkhazia, and South Ossetia, but to some extent also the Pankisi Gore, which had become a while a safe haven for um, Islamic terrorists. So looking at Georgia, we see it is at a very particular geopolitical point, at a very particular geopolitical location. In the north, we have the great neighbor Russia that uh, seems to be rising again and uh, is trying to exercise its ambition to control its periphery. And uh, of course, we have an ex somewhat expansionist Turkey in the south and unresolved conflicts between Turkey, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. So our Georgia itself is the only place that really has opened itself politically to the West, to Europe, and is actively seeking integration into the, into the European Union by um, enhanced um, agreements to have visa-free travel and trade and uh, development. However, it is sandwiched in, in a way that it is really um, tough for Georgia today to exercise this because it's quite far removed and um, the political uh, aspects of that region make it pretty hard. We had a transition from after the Soviet Union collapsed in those countries that were somewhat similar. This is why it was always coined the post-Soviet sphere, which I don't frankly think is appropriate today anymore. All these countries have gone through developments in their own rights, and especially if you go to Georgia or Armenia, you will see significant differences in the um, stage of development. Georgia has managed a transition since 2003, since the Rose Revolution under, under Saakashvili, um, to put a reformed administrative and police system in place that also got rid of uh, corruption and that replaced 30,000 police officers overnight. What he pretty much did is he fired 30,000 police officers and hired those back that were not corrupt and that eventually had to go through rigid training including also language training. So that has actually coined the aspects of Georgian mentality today. That reform process is still going on, but much has changed internally in Georgia's political culture today, and the opposition as well as the media seems to be weakening more and more and is weakening. So after the shivered Nazi years in the 90s, which caused much chaos, we um, then saw a recovery. But to really understand Georgian mentality and to really understand the Georgian sentiments today, um, I just would like to point out one um, Cannes movie award-winning movie. It's called In Bloom. Um, it really describes very well um, how Georgians lived in the 90s because I think most people in the West in Europe and the United States don't quite understand um, what hardship Georgians had to go through in the 90s. You had rampant crime and you had even starvation in a country that used to be called the Riviera of the Soviet Union and that is agriculturally and um, nature-wise very blessed. So that is just one recommendation I would like to give you. Of course, that hardship led to a point where even the Tbilisi metro didn't run because there were um, power outages and uh, there were power outages all over the place, which then with the Rose Revolution of 2003 began to change. Uh, Saakashvili, who imposed very harsh reforms on Georgia, as many would say, um, has actually managed to turn the country around. Georgia was almost a failed state after the 1990s that managed to go through a transition. And I always feel this building really represents and embodies a massive transition and the massive change that Georgia went through. This is the Tbilisi Public Service Hall, also called the Mushroom Building. 
Um, and especially speaking at my former graduate school that focuses on statecraft and international uh, security and um, governance, uh, this is a very marvelous piece of how statecraft is done right. Because the people actually have managed an administration that is compact, that is efficient, everything from the license plate registration to a birth certificate or a death certificate or an ID, you can pretty much get at this place. And it is um, a place that has been uh, very transparent. There is no more corruption in that field of administration. However, what we see today, unfortunately, it seems to be regressing a little bit because the political system has been destabilized in the past years. But this is definitely a great example of the transformation process uh, Georgia has been going through and should continue to do so. Um, the same with the building up of the cities, that massive transformation of Georgia in the past years um, also reflects in places like uh, Batumi, right at the Black Sea, which is probably a postcard town of uh, Georgia. And it shows the massive investments that especially under the Saakashvili government have been made in order to develop Georgia and put it back on track um, in a Western style. Because Georgia in the past history has always been a very rich and deep cultured country that was at the crossroads between Central Asia, Russia, um, the Ottoman Empire, and Europe eventually. And it's also a very nice art deco um, city that uh, you can still feel all the influence from all over the world. Um, but of course that massive change and that massive pressure that you saw put on the people also backfired oftentimes because you had a lot of tradition and you had a lot of people who were still mourning the Soviet Union. And you have a mindset clash that is very typical for, um, now I'm going to use the word myself, but for countries that were in the post-Soviet sphere. Because the de centralization of economics, but the centralization of politics left a big mark on those countries. You had economics decentralized because the, the autonomous republics weren't supposed to be independent and they were also supposed to be integrated in the planned economic system of the Soviet Union and that really presented a problem after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And you also had a strong repression of the church, yet the church became a substitute for ideology in many places, including Russia today, uh, for the ideology, which um, shouldn't be a surprise to many. But that clash of modernization and of uh, religious tradition and of history represents a struggle even today. And we have talked about the concept of Cesaropapism and uh, also the school is very well um, aware of this, where a Russian czar, a Russian president, or a Russian leader would use the church to impose their own doctrines through the church. And what we see today in Georgia is a split church in many ways. We have modernists, we have reformers, but we also have very Russophile um, parts um, in the church that would much rather go with the Russian Orthodox Church. And uh, uh, crazy things happen all the time, but an alleged um, assassination attempt on the um, Georgian Catholicus, which is pretty much the equivalent of the Georgian Pope, um, was going on. One priest was caught with Zionite in his suitcase on the way to Germany, where the Catholicus was actually treated. But especially that tradition and that impact on the society by church and by modernization has really caused rifts. And those rifts are exploited. Um, what I like to call the thaw and frost tactic that Russia also applies in these countries um, is also done by the church. Problems that we see in 
Georgia Today that we also see in the European um, countries and the European Union or in the United States is infiltration and its abuse. Often 95% of propaganda is factually correct, but it is those little things that where the Russians can easily or any other interest group can easily plant their little flags or their little spin on it. And this is happening in Georgia as well, especially um, if you look at the historic um, approach. This is a place that I've been, I've been going to a few times and it's still a little inconceivable to me. Um, this is the um, Gori Museum, um, or the Stalin Museum in Gori, which is central Georgia, and that is a place where Stalin was actually born. Um, I've seen people pray in front of the statue and uh, bless themselves in front of the statue. Gori is a very particular place, but the way Stalin is presented and the way Georgian history is being told um, is very odd, to say the least, because there is no mentioning about the atrocities of communism, the atrocities and crimes that Stalin actually committed, but um, it shows a glorification and, of course, a personality cult around Stalin that is often very deeply ingrained in many um, young people even today. I've met 26-year-olds in Georgia who still believe Stalin was a great hero and um, he's done very good for the Soviet Union and for Georgia. And this really has to do with an approach and a reflection on their own culture where there's definitely a deficit. There were approaches made to actually reform that museum, but uh, so far everything has failed. And just to give you a little bit of impression, you see Stalin hugging kids, it's propaganda from the 40s and 50s, and you walk out and Stalin looks at you like um, one of those Russian babushkas that open the window and uh, tell you a little story. Um, so it is a very surreal place and shows you that much, um, much is to be done. But of course, because of this affinity still to the old Soviet Union or to the Russian Empire, um, you had also the War of 2008 and you had the breakaway territories of Abkhazia already in the 90s. In all fairness, of course, um, the Ossetians and the Abkhazians have always been a distinct and ethnic group um, on their own. They have their own language, and especially um, the Ossetians have had um, issues with uh, being part of Georgia for a while and wanted an ask for more autonomy, which of course uh, was easy for Russia to exploit and eventually um, invade Georgia in 2008. Uh, of course, there are many theories that has been much discussed. Um, there were separatists who actually fought the Georgians and who attacked Georgian villages. And so when Saakashvili eventually sent in troops, the Russians used that as the excuse that the Georgians were the aggressors and the troops were eventually sent down. And of course, um, the West and NATO, um, Georgia wasn't a NATO member and still is not, uh, didn't intervene. However, it was eventually the United States that put the foot down and um, at least stopped the Russians um, right at the doorstep. That's actually one reason why the main highway going from Tbilisi airport um, into Tbilisi center is called the George W. Bush Highway. So um, he is very much liked. But it gives you a little bit of an impression how the war was, how the war started, and um, pretty much where um, the fighting was going on. And of course, that really um, ingrained, is ingrained in Georgian identity today, too. And um, we had a massive uprising, and we had also an anger building up among the people in Georgia that wanted change. Because the more the time progressed, and uh, also Saakashvili became more desperate and a little authoritarian in many ways, um, people were looking for change, and they were looking for a change in politics. Because Saakashvili also didn't uh, want to step down. So we had an, a billionaire who actually made his money with Gazprom entering the scene, Bidzina Ivanishvili, who founded the Georgian Dream. 
the Georgian dream was a coalition government. It wasn't only one party, but it was joined by many with the purpose of getting rid of the Saakashvili party, which was the United National Movement. And Ivanishvili, in certain occasions, has stated um, that he will pretty much crush the UNM, which um, I would have to say he successfully probably did by now in many ways because the UNM just split and uh, they had only 27 seats left after the past elections in October in the Georgian National Parliament anyway. So we had Ivanishvili who has a huge mansion on the hills of Tbilisi um, pretty much pulling the strings behind the scenes and um, having the good relations uh, with Georgia. He also promised a lot of social reform because when, one thing Saakashvili really did, and actually that was one of the reasons why Georgia economically turned around so much, was a breakdown um, of the overly um, large, um, of the uh, oversized uh, welfare state and uh, of economic reform. He was a libertarian in very many ways, which of course was hard on many people in Georgia. So the Georgian dream came in and said, we will give you more pensions, we will um, give you cheap water and cheap gas, and that eventually led um, to his election. Ivanishvili was prime minister while Saakashvili was still president, and um, in 2012 uh, Saakashvili eventually left. However, that promise of prosperity and the uh, welfare didn't really last very long. And a good uh, parameter for this is by just looking at the Lari US dollar exchange rate. The Lari is the Georgian currency. Um, it has been somewhat stable, but in the last um, three years, it's been really um, dropping in its value, which has hurt a lot of people. Because the Lari is a dollarized currency, even though they try to um, abolish that. but large sums of loans or even uh, rent is being paid in US dollars and the ATMs actually disperse dollars and euro as well. So the Lari itself isn't used for all domestic transaction, which is a big problem for the Georgian economy. And one thing that is also rather strange um, is when you use a railroad in Georgia, actually the railroad fees for transport companies are charged in Swiss francs. Um, so every time the Larry depreciates, um, the costs of internal transportation become higher, which is a burden on um, the income and the tax of people. Um, of course, all these problems accumulate more and more, and it has put a lot of young people who just bought an apartment or invested heavily um, into a tough position. Um, I always see it with my Georgian co-workers who are complaining about um, the Lowry dropping much and not being able to um, invest properly in their future because of uncertainties in the political system and in the economy. Uh, Georgians are very strong believers in European integration and in NATO integration. As for the moment, um, it is my very frank opinion, unrealistic that Georgia is going to become a NATO member or an EU member, um, also due to the protracted conflict that has been going on. Nobody can become a NATO member um, if there are unresolved domestic um, problems and conflicts on the territory. But um, Georgia just achieved the status of visa liberalization, meaning they don't need a visa anymore to actually enter the European Union. Um, one thing you see, this is a peace bridge in, um, in Tbilisi, one of the actually very nice architectural features features of the city, and it was all in uh, the European Union flag colors. However, when I looked at it, I was very much surprised because I felt it was also somewhat of a deception campaign because um, they're now told they can travel to Europe and they can um, travel freely. However, if anything comes between, it, there's a provision that the visa-free travel regulation can easily be revoked. Um, it's supposed to start, I believe, mid-April um, this year. 
but um, what we see on the on the same token, um, we have a weakening opposition. What I just mentioned earlier, we have the United National Movement that just split, and it was very much reduced in the number of seats in the last election in October. And um, they founded a new party called the European Georgia. Uh, I personally would have liked to see the United National Movement stay together and um, actually get over Saakashvili, because Saakashvili has been pulling the strings behind the scenes. Um, he eventually became a Ukrainian citizen and uh, was until recently governor of Odessa. But what Georgia really, or Georgian opposition politics, I believe, really needs to learn is uh, pull a common ground together and be able to do coalition building among the people and don't focus on one person as much as they have in the past. I think that is a very crucial element of their party politics that needs to be tackled. And um, I personally would wish that the opposition party could reunite and come up with a better approach than they have now, because I fear that uh, due to the disorganization of the Georgian political system and the split of the party, um, the opposition is just going to um, eventually fade away more and more. And uh, pro-Russian news, pro-Russian propaganda, and um, anti-Western, um, anti-European, um, and anti-American forces are going to continue growing. And I really see that as a problem because we've been seeing it over years now. And there was even a Stalinist uh, party arising throughout the last um, elections in October, which didn't get admitted to the ballots due to technical reasons. But it definitely shows you that there is um, still massive work to be done um, in Georgia's um, modernization process today. And another thing that I really find um, interesting and um, that really shows you also deception, reality, and what's going on um, is the freedom of the press in Georgia. Since 2014, actually, uh, Russian media is allowed back in Georgia, uh, whether it's RT or Sputnik Georgia or other political organizations. Um, you also have a weakening of one of the largest opposition channels that exists. It's called Rustavi 2. Um, Rustavi 2 has changed hand a few, hands a few times. Um, it was owned by two brothers and um, eventually um, owned by um, other people too. However, now a Supreme Court ruling came down that gave, oh, I'm sorry, that gave, was supposed to give Rustavi II back to the gentleman who was supposed to dissolve Rustavi II. And that meant the only and large opposition channel is going to be gone and um, a lot of people went out to protest. Actually, this is a picture right on my street where I live, and um, it's right next to the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, it was amazing by how many people went on the streets, but also by how many people just ignored it or were in the hysteria of visa liberalization, um, not quite affected by it. Nonetheless, um, the European um, Court on Human Rights actually overruled the Georgian Supreme Court on this one. And um, they pretty much postponed any ruling until further notice, which means um, Rustavi 2 hasn't really been changing hands yet. However, um, they've also stopped broadcasting for a while. So that's actually one reason why I'm very glad that Voice of America is here too, because Georgia has been slipping up the map for so long. What we see is continued um, protracted conflict, is a continued subversion of the achievements that the country made in the past years. And um, I also have the fear that um, more and more concessions, especially in economic terms, are going to weaken the independence of Georgia. We just have a proposal um, by Putin that um, we should continue, um, or that Georgians should continue letting Russian ga gas flow through Georgia and um, into Armenia. 
So that Russian-Georgian-Armenian corridor is supposed to become more and more important. And with that deal that the new government is about to make, Georgia would have the same amount of um, energy supply from Russia again as it did in 2006. Because right now, 90% of Georgia's energy resources actually comes from Azerbaijan and not Russia. And 10% that comes from Russia is usually cash payment in terms of transit fees in order to bring the gas uh, down into Armenia. So that would be a major drawback. Plus, we can also see the expansionist policies um, continuing on the Russian side, too. Um, Putin actually just approved the government proposal um, to integrate some military union um, units of Georgia's breakaway territories and regions of South Ossetia, which means the uh, Georgian claim that the territories are still an integral part of Georgia today um, will definitely be refuted and most likely um, not return to Georgia in the foreseeable future because the Russian presence has just becoming too massive for the country and Georgia has no military means um, and would not be very wise to try to do anything about it militarily. So the approach and the hope that, of course, many in the Georgian government have is uh, to have something like a magnet theory, what Germany did during World War, uh, during the Cold War, when it was divided, you would create prosperity and you would create interdependencies that eventually would draw those breakaway territories back to the motherland, so to speak. But um, I do not see with the current economic and political situation that really being a viable path forward at the current time. So what I also believe now we need to do, um, if we talk about certain predictions and um, if we look at developments in Georgia, the political reform that we saw in the past years must continue. Uh, ever since uh, the Obama administration took power, there was a receding uh, American foreign policy in Georgia and in the Caucasus. We see little interest in the region with people like John McCain coming or the McCain Institute um, that is active in Georgia. However, on the large scale, we have other problems. We see Ukraine, we see Eastern Europe, and um, of course, we have internal problems. The European Union has massive internal problems, as well as the United States right now um, is not necessarily at peace with itself. So Georgia, unfortunately, falls off the map. And these are the regions you will first notice a receding foreign policy and um, an interest, a lack of interest in those areas. So the domestic political opposition, I believe, will continue to weaken in the foreseeable future in Georgia. And uh, the United States, as well as individual European countries, uh, should be doing something about this, whether it's putting forth proper uh, foreign policy or just deliberately making a point that Georgia should become and continue to be part of the uh, Judeo-Christian Western community, which when you are in Georgia, you really feel that Georgia is inherently a European country with a lot of different identities, but also wants to be part of the European family. Um, you still have that massive Russian influence and a lot more acceptance due to economic pressure um, that uh, Russia may be the only option because it's a big partner in the north that supplies energy. But um, if we accept that way of thinking and Georgia would completely go into the Russian sphere, um, I think we would probably hurt ourselves in the long run. And um, Russia should be a partner for Georgia to more or less extent, but it shouldn't be the only partner. And Russia should definitely not be able to interfere in Georgian internal affairs as much as it has been doing again right now. Um, the economic and energy dependence, of course, would be affected by it. And um, the occupied territories, as I said, are probably going to be lost for the foreseeable future. And um, 
I mean, we can talk about how Georgians can deal with this, but military intervention with the help of the West or with the help of the United States will most likely not occur, and the will is simply not there. Um, so Georgia, Russia, Armenia is the, I would say, geopolitically speaking, the corridor, which is the new ideology or the new idea. But we should actually, from a Western perspective, also look at a more strategic uh, Black Sea region approach, because after all, it is the east of Europe. And um, though Georgia is in the east of the Black Sea, it still matters a lot and it is still access to um, a lot of those countries that we should be dealing with and that we also should be helping um, to continue. And in my work, I have experienced that especially communal self-administration, um, helping the people to govern themselves and not always relying on the central government is extremely important because exactly communal self-administration and taking the responsibility for their own is very significant and will actually make a change because people feel responsible for their community and they can also administer that responsibility and they can build up an internal immune system in order to prevent any kind of radicalization or strange behavior they may otherwise not want. Um, so economically, I would also say we need a further larization of the economy. Georgia must strengthen its own currency and stand on its own feet. It cannot be too dependent on the US dollar or the euro or the Swiss franc, for that matter. Um, and this is also something where the West could really help investment in technology, investment in infrastructure, making it deliberately a part of, let's say, the new Silk Road, which um, China has also began and other Western European countries have supported. So it will actually become part um, of that trading network and can retain its independence and um, its freedom. Also, what I see um, is seeking that strategic Black Sea cooperation that I mentioned and the institutional and uh, civic reform. Just by looking at the map of, of the Black Sea region, we can see what important, uh, how important that region actually is. We have Turkey in the south, Russia in the north, and then we have Romania, Bulgaria, and it is a way of doing business. It is a, we just need to find the interest and we have to re retain the peace in order to um, actually get this going. And when I see, um, especially businesses in Georgia, there are often trade hurdles towards the United States and towards Europe. Um, there's often a lack of infrastructure, which is a big problem. There's one highway going through Georgia, pretty much between Turkey and um, Iran. But uh, if you go to the hinterlands, you will find that there has yet to be a lot of invest investment made to spur that kind of um, technological and infrastructure investment. And this is really what the West can do about it. Help Georgia develop itself and the people and their economy, like a Marshall Plan or like um, development uh, assistance for the country, um, not just pour it into it, but actually put it into sensible economic measures, um, which could be transport, tourism, or or wine. Georgian wine is excellent, and um, see this. So that gives you a little bit of an overview of um, the work and the developments that we have um, seen in Georgia. And um, I was told not to go um, too far than 40 minutes. So um, I would, first of all, like to thank you just for listening. And um, actually, that's a cool picture uh, my colleague took in Kacheti, which is in eastern Georgia. Until today, no, I don't know how they got that cow into that car, but I thought it was a very cool picture. <laughs> so um, I'm also very happy to um, take more questions. And of course, um, comments are always welcome, too. Michael?
about uh, the possibility of the Georgia joining NATO, whether you think it would be a good idea, whether it's in the country's interest, whether NATO would even take them, well, Georgians would love to be part of NATO. Um, the general consensus is we would much rather be part of NATO and um, the EU than the status we have right now. Um, I personally think it's unrealistic at the moment. Um, however, Georgia, in, and due to all respect, has actually a very large contingent of soldiers also in Afghanistan. And proportionally speaking, they're contributing a tremendous amount to the Western um, security and uh, to uh, Western assistance. Just another example, um, apart from NATO, is there was, were always stories in the media about organized bandit and gang crime um, of Georgian mafia groups in Germany and in France. And uh, there's a program which is uh, sponsored by the German um, by the German crime institutions and the Georgian Interior Ministry called Jason, which tackles crime on the ground and it helps fight that particular crime and the mafia gangs. So Georgia is contributing a large amount um, to international security and to international intelligence. And I think Georgia deserves definitely a role in a security context. Whether they're going to be a full-blown NATO member, um, I would hope they would become one personally but I don't think it is very reasonable to believe right now that they are going to become one. And as far as the EU goes, um, the EU right now has a lot of issues on its own. We have the Brexit coming up. The um, euro crisis is still unresolved. Just by looking at the Target 2 loans, which are the short-term interbank loan liabilities, they're skyrocketing. Um, I don't see the will right now in the European Union to continue further integration or even expansion into Georgia. So... This is why I believe it needs to be made a point to actually pay more attention to that area outside NATO, EU, or any other context as well. Because they are not a NATO member at the moment, they are not an EU member at the moment, and um, most likely aren't going to be one in the foreseeable future. Yes? Correct. Regarding the what? Oh, yes. I know, I came in a little bit late, but as you were speaking about the different currencies that are being used, yes. what, what, where do you see that going? Uh, I mean, if you're using uh, dollars, Swiss francs, uh, the Chinese involvement, as far as that goes, yeah. that's pretty far down the road. Where do you see the future going as far as, as China's involvement? Well, if you speak to... Um, economic forums, um, which they are in Tbilisi, um, they're a little bit uh, disappointed and at least skeptical in many ways because if you actually ship something, you would probably use the shipping lines that go north, which go, would go through Russia and um, it would, you would put it on a train and you end up in Eastern Europe, or you may as well just put it on a boat to China and ship it around Africa or the Suez Canal and into uh, Europe as well. No. It's, it's hard to imagine that anyone would put on a train, ship it across the Black Sea, and then put it back on a train. So I think some more realistic views about the Silk Road um, have been occurring. However, uh, Georgians have been investing heavily in the Anaklia port, which is um, next to the Poti port in Georgia, now becoming one of the most important ports. It's a very expensive project. It's still not done. And uh, its economic feasibility um, is, um, I mean, I haven't done any economic studies on it, but what I've heard from um, 
people who studied um, economic infrastructure said probably at least take 20 to 30 years um, if nothing happens to really materialize. So I'm very worried about um, an actual natural organic development of Georgian um, economic development in the current uh, uh, moment. This is why I said we should really make it a point in terms of Western foreign policy and Western economic policy to assist Georgia in its development. So the, the Silk Road is a very good idea, but um, for the moment I haven't seen any materialization really uh, that uh, help make a quantum leap for Georgia. Yes? Just to add some additional worries and concerns to the picture. Looking at this map, uh, we know that we know the, the challenges that, that uh, Georgia faces from its northern neighbor. But looking at the southern neighbors, especially Turkey, which borders Syria and Iraq, my question is about border control, border security. So if I understand correctly, Georgia's army is not such as it is. I'm assuming they have a small army. Well, Georgia is a country of 3.7 million people, so compared to Turkey, it is a small army, yes. So, so but they were not strong enough to, to prevent an invasion from the north. What I'm thinking about is, you know, ISIS and like-minded people coming across the border. We know the problems in Syria and Iraq and in that part of Turkey. What about the border that Georgia shares with Turkey? Is that... Is there a border? Is it fences? Is it walls? Is it north? Is it a field? No, the border between Georgia and Turkey is open. However, um, the region that borders there is called Ajaria, and it is a predominantly Muslim region. And uh, Ajaria was also a region that um, has made some trouble, let's put it this way, in terms of um, integrity of the Georgian state. It stayed with Georgia for now, and um, I believe it does have some autonomy, if I'm not mistaken. But um, it could potentially be, of course, exploited just as much as Abkhazia and Ossetia were exploited. Um, Georgia itself is inherently a Christian country. But, uh, of course, as I mentioned early on, um, the Pankisi Valley has presented a problem in the past. So um, radical jihadism or um, radical Muslim ideology could definitely um, find its way at some point into Georgia, too. But uh, for now, it hasn't been very present outside the Pankisi Valley. Do you have any comments? Yeah, well, uh, just... Uh, I'm very glad that uh, we have such a distinguished uh, guest here today as well. Let me thank Christopher Van for, uh, for his uh, great presentation, and not only the presentation, but for the job he's doing in Georgia. And I think uh, not only Van, but also entire, uh, another foundation to do brilliant job. Thank you for this. A couple of comments. Uh, that uh, would provide a slightly different uh, perspective on uh, certain issues. First of all, NATO integration. Well, it's true that Georgia's two territories are occupied by Russia, but uh, I am more optimistic about Georgia's NATO future. Uh, uh, since, I mean, we had uh, situations in uh, uh, our history when uh, uh, the diplomatic formula or political formula can be introduced to accept country in NATO, uh, regardless of the occupied territories. And the Germans' example of uh, 1949, I mean, 52, uh, maybe it's not exactly the same, but I mean, we can come up with a formula, a political formula, in uh, alliance, and uh, especially in the major uh, capitals, 
that uh, to accept Georgia as a NATO member uh, without having an Article 5 uh, uh, spend of the apply temporarily suspend the application of Article 5 and the occupied region. And uh, I think that uh, in 2008 on the NATO side, uh, we had the same very similar situation. Uh, uh, we had uh, uh, basically uh, promise from uh, Elias that Georgia and Ukraine will become NATO members. And it's uh, only a question of uh, where rather than me. So I think I'm more optimistic. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you are. and especially Bush administration had this agenda. The Obama administration put this extension on hold. We don't know if the Trump administration is going to be extension. Just a couple of uh, comments on uh, internal issues. I think that, uh, yeah, well, uh, those, you call them predictions, I would call it risks. So I hope they won't be materialized. And uh, especially that uh, there, there should be very serious job to, 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 to be done by Georgians and our partners so this uh, uh, risk will materialize. Especially on dependence. Yeah. You see, Russia used to be Georgia's major trade partner uh, uh, until 2006. And when the embargo came up, and, uh, uh, we were, our trade was about 70. And in 2007, it came down to zero. And Georgia not only survived, but it even prospered. And uh, the products, Georgian products, have become better. And I think that we can survive. Not only survive, but we can prosper without uh, elevating dependence. I think that it's also, uh, it's also uh, the current government should also understand it. Uh, and energy we were about 90% we had uh, energy dependency in Russia. Now we have about 5%. And uh, that's another uh, thing that we need uh, to grow to become farther. And then only one uh, comment on this Islamization idea. I, I, that, let me be very blunt. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's fine to have. Uh, a, a, our, uh, about 70% of Georgian economy is dollarized. I mean, uh, major transactions and banks uh, are in dollars. And I don't see any risk. And uh, uh, I think that we should not waste a lot of uh, budget allocations, a lot of budget money on so-called dollarization. Uh, I think that dollarized economy is okay. Uh, I mean, it worked for us. We had 11% uh, growth. 2007, we had uh, growth with high goals in six, eight, and all this year, uh, we have pretty highly dollarized economy. So I think that the problems are not lying with dollarized economy, problems are lying with uh, increased government standards. And uh, I think that uh, uh, the, the way forward is to cut down government spending rather than focusing on this mythological dollarization uh, or the federalization of the economy. That is my uh, point of view. Perfect. Thank you very much. The only
point I was getting at about the dollarization is that because the lorry has been dropping so much and dollars are isu- uh, loans are issued in dollars, a lot of families who bought houses have been hurting because uh, their income is more and more eaten up by um, the increase of dollar or the dropping in the lorry. And um, that does have an impact on the local economy because it's strangling regular consumers. Um, I'm not an economist. I just observe the workings there. However, I think they're pretty different approaches. Maybe a mix of the two would be a possibility too. Yet I do see the massive dollarization and the, the usage of dollar in the in the small economy as a problem um, because it's been hurting small families. And this is also what really, um, if you have an average income of three hundred fifty to four hundred or to five hundred dollars a month, um, an increase by four or five uh, percent already makes a huge difference on your daily. Um, lifestyle and on your monthly income. That was the point I was trying to make. Yes, please. Me? Uh, no, the lady in red. Um, well, the Conrad Adenauer Foundation has been very much active in uh, civic education in schools, um, or mainly universities, but um, we are also working with political leaders. We're working with um, young politicians. We take them on, um, on study trips. We do workshops with them. And um, really the main part is understanding the political workings, getting them into a position where they understand the skill set they, they need. Um, to craft policies themselves, to actually be able to negotiate. Because one reason I always notice, um, actually, that's the thing I've noticed in all of the three countries we work in, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and um, Georgia, um, the the lack of ability to uh, really come up with a coalition and uh, to negotiate a a government position. And once you achieve or you try to make them understand how that works through simulations, for instance, um, or through lectures or wh- whatever you, um, whatever format you want to choose, um, that really strengthens that civic education um, and it raises awareness in these fields. What we also do is um, we do certain strategy forums, which are usually on a higher level of government. And uh, we also have exchanges on, in this part with equal um, people on, on the political levels. And um, of course, that is always step by step in the progress you make. Yet, you always work with a certain group of people and then you have another group of people that would not want to integrate it because the, the mass, let's say, um, wants something else. It really is a is a long haul that you do and it's a very intense project. But I always believe that you start with the young people and with the energetic politicians. And of course, you always show them best practice examples, how things should work. And uh, there are places in Georgia where it actually has worked. And frankly, when I look at something like the um, Tbilisi Administrative Hall, I think that is the best practice example you've created by your own because it actually worked. And uh, this is what you should build on. What we shouldn't be doing is implanting U.S. or German administrative structures into Georgia, but let the Georgians do it like they have done there and just expand and continue that type of stuff. 
And um, I'm actually quite impressed when I was quite impressed when I saw that for the first time. And if we can continue on that path and try to also explain to the people how much they have benefited from a less corrupt government, um, that really should be the driving force behind it. Hope that answers your question. Yes, sir. Yes. The Rostavi two case. Oh, the new Silk Road. I'm sorry. I understood news. Um, on the trade issue, I think you're right that Roger is definitely a good exporter also for agricultural products. And one thing that could really be adjusted is the reliability of just the ferry that's going across the Black Sea because it doesn't always go and um, it does take very long. So there are, is definitely potential to tweak um, a more functioning economic base there. Um, in terms of the Black Sea strategy, I mean, we have seen the annexation of Crimea and I think we've um, been much more aware of um, the things... Uh, that are continuing. Uh, there's something called the Eastern Partnership, which specifically focuses on um, Ukraine, Moldova, and uh, Georgia is part of this. So these countries uh, that are surrounding the Black Sea are paid specific attention to for that reason. Um, of course, we haven't seen uh, troop movements going into Georgia much as in Eastern Europe, like in Poland, but um, it's definitely a region that is being paid attention to. And, uh, however, there are these uncertainties again, too. Um, we had a coup attempt in Turkey, and uh, we've also had issues with um, NATO troops in Turkey. We don't know how this is going to play out, how Erdogan is going to act. So if we have two large countries uh, that are um, hostile to um, a larger Black Sea security strategy, it will probably be a much rougher climate, and we will have to come up with... Um, new security issues, yet that is, again, depending on the will of um, the politics, how far uh, they want to go. I personally would take a much tougher stance um, in many ways, because um, I think uh, what the Russians have created facts in Crimea and in eastern Ukraine, and um, we should reply accordingly, in my opinion. And I think the West has been too weak in, um, in Georgia as well during the 2008 invasion. So I think we should definitely change our rhetoric and our stance on this. And we shouldn't uh, just continue with that appeasement politics that we've been seeing so much. So the Eastern Partnership is probably the most reliable, um, let's say, project right now I, I would use to understand um, the Black Sea strategic region. Karina, you had another question? Vilan. Oh. I just want to know about uh, Elon Ashley. Obviously, he's uh, actively involved, but uh, you know, he still is. Can you tell us about just, um, what that man is up to 
Well, his main reputation is allegedly he has sharks and zebras and he likes trees. So <laughs> um, that is what you hear all the time. Um, well, he was prime minister for a while and then he retired. But uh, the Georgian dream that is in power right now was a party coalition um, which he founded. And um, you can be certain that he's still pulling the strings behind the scenes. So he sometimes still gives statements. And um, the people who are working in government today are uh, in the Georgian dream are definitely close to him. So I would call him the oligarch and uh, to some extent also the puppet master of a lot of these uh, politicians who are running the current Georgian government. So he's a very classic oligarch who puts his money into political interests. Karina? I want to clarify something about the energy of Russian, <clears throat> Georgian gas thing. If I remember correctly, you said that um, up until 2006 or so, uh, Georgia was 90% energy dependent on Russia. Now it's only about 5 or 10%. And that money comes from transit fees. That it's, Russia pays. it's a deal that's supposed to pay the, to the trans to Armenia. Saying that 90% of Georgia gets 90% of its gas now from Armenia. No, from Azerbaijan. Oh, okay. Armenia does not have um, um, gas and oil resources as yeah, Azerbaijan. Armenia and Azerbaijan. Yes. Okay. The Armenians are trying to um, come up with more renewable energy projects right now. And of course, they are using a lot more nuclear power than um, Georgia does. Does Georgia have any nuclear plants? Georgia? I don't think so, no. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. It's very similar in that regard to Switzerland. Okay, well, thank you very much for your attendance, and I really appreciate your time and interest in the lecture. And um, if you like, we can also continue the conversation after we're done here. Thank you very much.